Uh, we're going to spend the next we're going to spend the next 25 or 30 minutes talking about the Bible. Why do we do that? Why, why do we why do we like the Bible? Why do we love the Bible? Because in in God's Word, He tells us about Himself. He tells us about the world around us. He tells us about our own hearts and how they can be made right through Jesus and the forgiveness that He offers. So. There are riches to be mined as we open up the Bible. But I don't want to sit here and tell you I understand it all or anyone in this room understands it all. So if you hear what you hear tonight or any other night or just have ideas about Christianity that you have questions about or struggle against, don't do that alone. Like find me, find one of our staff or one of our ministry team and let's get coffee, let's go for a walk, let's have lunch, and let's talk about some of those things. The best place to struggle through those is with someone else. So take us up on that offer. All right, this is going to be the last message in our series on suffering. We've been through six weeks now, um, and, and I just want to give you a warning, a heads up here. We're going to talk about some hard and sobering stuff tonight. But here's my promise to you. And this goes beyond tonight. This, this I hope, is always true. And if, and if it's not, I want you to come find me and let's talk. Like, bring this up with me. But here's my promise to you. I will always, always do my best to give you what God's Word says. And I will not water it down just to make it more popular or more palatable. Like, I want you to get what God's Word is saying. And again, if, if what you hear you struggle with or have any questions, let's get together and let's talk. At the very core of the Christian faith is a message. And that message is simply this. We, along with all of mankind, are sinners and in desperate need of a Savior. That's why Jesus came to go to a cross, to pay the debt of our sin, to, to literally stand in our place to pay the debt that we owed. After he died on that cross, he was raised from the dead and he gives, not, he gives and offers new life to all who will believe in him. That is the Christian gospel. That's the core message of Christianity. But here's the thing. That message requires a response. The gospel requires a response of faith. So my question for you, before we even get into what we're going to be talking about tonight, do you believe that? Will you trust in this gospel? Will you give your life to it? That's essentially the question I want hanging over us as we get into our passage tonight. To be indifferent or neutral regarding this message is to reject it. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So here's what that's saying. For all who have believed this gospel and have put their hope in Jesus, he makes us new. He makes us a changed people. We've surrendered all that we have and all that we are to God. Our plans, our purposes, our lives, all that we have, all that we are, belong to Him. Living for Him is now our highest priority, which will not always make us popular with the world. 
tonight we're going to be talking about the suffering of persecution. You know, throughout this series we've talked about different kinds of suffering. And tonight we're going to talk about the suffering of persecution, which is basic, basically suffering for your faith. Suffering because of what you believe. And here in our text, John 15, Jesus was with his disciples on the night right before his crucifixion. And prior to this, he had been with his disciples for three years, teaching them, encouraging them, loving them, doing life with them. And Jesus knew all of that was about to change in the next 24 hours. So he's preparing those disciples for the days ahead, for the realities that come to all who follow Jesus. Listen to how he describes this. John 15, 18 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll pick up the first few verses in 16. John 15, 18 is where we're going to start. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, talking about the Holy Spirit there, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Do y'all have 16? Yeah. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I want to focus on three things that Jesus says here in our text. First, he warns us of the hatred to come, the hatred of the world. Two, secondly, he tells us that we will bear witness. And then thirdly, he tells, he tells us all of this to keep us from falling away. So let's start with that first one, the hatred of the world. In those first eight verses that we just read in chapter 15, Jesus spoke of the hatred of the world seven times. Hatred of the world was a reality for Jesus. It's what got him crucified, wasn't it? And hatred of the world will be a reality for all who follow Jesus. 2 Timothy 3 says this, All who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. As we talk about the hatred of the world, know that we're not talking about the world in, in some geographical sense or a universal sense, as in not everyone in the world is going to hate Christians. That's not what I'm saying but we're talking about it in the sense of a thought and a value system that is opposed to God and opposed to his 
kingdom. So why will Christians be opposed? Why will they be hated to use the word Jesus used? Jesus tells us, look, look there at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see it there in Jesus' words. We will be hated because we are not of the world. Our lives, our values, our ethics, our words, our allegiances, they'll be different. And the world doesn't like nonconformity. The Japanese have a saying that goes like this, the nail that sticks up is the one that gets pounded down. And the world pounds down the one who sticks out. Jesus in just two verses later in verse 21 gives us another reason Christians will be hated. He said they will do all these things on account of his name. The name, the very name of Jesus stirs up hatred. And it does so for two reasons. First, Jesus came and preached that all are sinners in need of a savior and that's offensive. Because we don't, we don't like hearing about our sin. We don't mind a little self-help advice. We just don't want to be told we need a Savior. The basic message, like I said before, of Christianity, the basic message of Jesus and the cross, by their nature, are offensive to the world. Secondly, Jesus' claims to be God and the Messiah and the Savior were exclusive claims. Listen to how Jesus puts it just a chapter earlier in John 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Most of the world is okay with you having Jesus as your God or you having Christianity as your faith. But the moment you suggest that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, now you're going to have problems. Because those are exclusive claims. To speak of Christ as the one Savior of sinners and the Lord over all things is just not going to win you popularity contests. But isn't that what Jesus was just saying in that verse I read from John 14? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I want, to be, I want to be really clear about a few things before we go any further. First, we're never to be jerks in how we live or in how we speak about these claims of Jesus. Second, or we're to be humble, kind, loving. We're not the offense, the message is. Second, persecution is not a goal. The Bible never speaks of it as something we should strive after. Rather, it speaks of it as a reality for all who follow Jesus. And also hear that it's not just the reality for some super spiritual class of Christian. It's the reality for all Christians. This is normal Christian life. You saw it there again in Jesus' words, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So again, this is the Christian life. So let's pause for a second. Think about, consider a few ways 
that you might be persecuted on this campus or any campus for that matter. You might be ridiculed for sharing what you believe in a religion 101 class. I, I know that's the reality because I've heard that from some of you. You may be excluded because you don't join in on what everyone else is doing. You might be called a bigot for what you believe and for how you live. Or, or think just a few years down the road, in years to come, you might be denied a promotion because you won't cheat in reporting your company's finances. You might be fired because you won't lie to cover your boss's backside. You may be hated or disliked by your next door neighbor because you share the hope of Jesus with them. It's true. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just simply living out the Christian life will bring hatred from the world. Jesus said so. Despite the hatred of the world, Jesus tells us, jump down to 27, that we will bear witness. We will bear witness. Think about what a witness does. A witness sees. So he or she is an eyewitness to, event, to an event, and then a witness tells. He or she speaks about what they saw or experienced. So for all who follow Jesus, we have seen. Our eyes have been opened to the goodness, the glory, the grace of God, and we have believed. And now that we've tasted of God's grace, we want to go and tell about that. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he says we will bear witness. But look at what verse 26 says. It says that the Holy Spirit also bears witness. And that, that promise is amazing in two ways. First, it tells us that the Holy Spirit is at work while we are bearing witness. So He's bearing witness through us as we're bearing witness. As we tell people about Jesus, God, through His Spirit, is using our words to work in the hearts of those who hear. And that's huge because we can't change hearts. But He can. And he uses people like you and me to do that. The second thing that this means is that he's with us. That God, by his spirit, is with us. And that's really good news because what's the number one reason for us in shrinking back from being witnesses in the world? Why don't we like to do that? We're scared. Fear. Fear. I knew that was going to be the number one reason. It's the number one reason in my heart, and it's what we all feel. But listen, the Holy Spirit is with us. Bearing witness with us. We're not alone as we're sent out into this world. The God of the universe is with us. So really, here's what I want. What is there to fear if God is with us? Do you remember how many of Jesus' disciples were with him at his crucifixion? One. One had already betrayed him. 
Judas and had committed suicide. So there were 11. One of the 11 stayed. The Apostle John. Why were the others not there? Fear. Same reason you and I probably wouldn't have been there. In fact, just before the crucifixion, do you remember what Peter did? Denied the Lord three times. But then if you read a little bit later in the book of Acts, which takes place right after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, what takes place in those days, the same men, these same 11, are fearless boldly proclaiming Jesus, willing to suffer imprisonment, beatings, even death. What had happened? What had happened to them that changed them from these fearful, denying Jesus to now out proclaiming even at the risk of their own lives? My best guess is two things happened. One, they saw the resurrected Jesus and that totally changed everything for them and it should, should change us. But I think the second thing that happened is they actually believe what Jesus said in his last words to them, the Great Commission. Here's how he ended that. Jesus said to his disciples as he's sending them out, he said these words, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They actually believed that Jesus was with them. And it changed everything. So do you believe that Jesus is with you? Will you take him at his word that he will never leave you nor forsake you? Will you believe that Jesus is bigger than your fears? Will you trust him and will you go bearing witness to your classmates, your coworkers, your family with this good news that Jesus saves sinners? I've heard of a, a pastor who used to challenge his congregation. He's, he lived 50 years ago. He's, he's passed away now. But he used to challenge his congregation with two questions at the end of his sermons. The first question, when is the last time you've won someone to Christ? What he means by that is, when's the last time someone has come to know Jesus by you sharing with them? Second question, when's the last time you've tried? I don't think the first question's so relevant because that's God's work, not ours. We said that a few minutes ago. But I think the second question's crucial. Have you tried? Will you go and bear witness of God's grace to a world in desperate need of it? Here's a little self-evaluation test I like to, to use. So ask yourself this question. If Christianity became illegal tonight, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a piercing question, isn't it? If Christianity became illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
In other words, is your allegiance to Jesus evident in your words and your works? Or to put it in the words of John 15, are you bearing witness for him? Jesus in John 16, 1 through 4, told his disciples why he was telling them all of this. And to put it simply, he said, I'm telling you all this to keep you from falling away. He didn't want them surprised or taken off guard by the persecution that would come. He wanted them to know it was coming. He wanted them to expect that. So imagine a scenario for a second. Imagine you're about to set out on a long journey and knowing that I had traveled that road, you come to me for directions. Okay, so that's the setting. And so I give you the basic, take a right when you get to this road, then get to this highway, take a left, go all the way up the mountain. When you get to this intersection, then you're gonna take another left and then you go about another 30 miles and you should be there. But in my instructions, I never mention the dangerous section that winds through the creepy, curvy, dark forest or, or the part of the road where you have sheer cliff, no margins and no guardrails on either side at the top of that mountain or the stretch of highway that's controlled by drug cartels. So what's going through your mind when you hit those areas? Well, what's going through your minds? What would be going through my mind? I, I must have taken a wrong turn somewhere. Joe never mentioned these crazy things. I've got to turn back. I'm on the wrong road. Consider the love of Christ and what he's saying here in verse 1 of 16. He's preparing his disciples then and now. In other words, us. He's preparing us for the dark roads, the crazy turns, the dangers that will come our way. We haven't taken a wrong turn. We haven't gotten on the wrong road. This is the road. Suffering, opposition, persecution is the way. Don't turn back. This is exactly what God has purposed and he's with us every step of the way. For all who follow Jesus, we will face opposition. There will be persecution. Again, 2 Timothy 3, all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But we don't have to fear. God by his spirit is with us, working in us and through us to bear witness to this world. So we have every reason for boldness and confidence one plus God is a majority. And at the end of the day, I think all of this, all that God's calling us to do in this comes down to one thing, and it's this, love. Here's what I mean by that. You've heard me say just a few weeks ago that I would gladly lay down my life for Terry and my kids without hesitation, no questions asked. Why? Because I love them. I love them. I don't love the idea of suffering. I don't love the idea of persecution. I don't love the idea of death, but I'm willing to endure those things because I love them. 
I'm willing to endure these things in the Christian life because I love Jesus. And he's worth it. So final few questions. Do you love him? And will you go where he calls you to go because you love him? Is he worth it to you? Is he worth that much that you'll go where he calls? Let's pray. Father, I pray that because of tonight, you would become more precious to us. That we'd be willing to suffer whatever comes our way because of our love for you and our commitment to you. God, thank you that you are worth it. That we can love you because Jesus came and you first loved us through him. So God, I pray that from this room you would send out a whole group of people who are so in love with you that they want to make you known across this campus. Whatever the sacrifice, whatever the cost. God, I pray that we'd be willing to lay down our life for you and lay down our lives to love our neighbor. God, I pray that there would never be a hint of us versus them, but that we would always be dying to self for the good of our neighbor and for the glory of your name. So Lord, make that true of us. And Lord, also for any, any here who do not yet believe, Lord, give eyes of faith that they might put their hope and their trust in you. Would they see how good and how gracious Jesus is to come and to lay down his life on that cross that we might be forgiven, that we might be made new. So God, would you grant new life to those and to all of us here. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.